Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. I'm Mark Dolan. It's time for Headliners. A first look at tomorrow's papers with two of my favourite comedians. Oh, no, it's, it's Leo Kirsten, Nick Dixon. Oh, well. Um, big stories, big opinions, and, yeah, a couple of laughs along the way. I'm Mark Dolan, and welcome to Headliners, a first look at tomorrow's papers in the company of two top comedians tonight. A man more English than cricket, cheddar cheese and real ale, Nick Dixon. And alongside him, a man more Scottish than unwanted teenage pregnancy, Leo Curse. <laughs> He's got a bun in the oven. Uh, gentlemen, let's start by taking a look at tomorrow's front pages. And we begin with the Sunday Telegraph. And they're splashing with the following. Ministers turn on the Bank of England. Unprecedented attack on the independent body as Sunak told to get a grip on the cost of living. The Telegraph there speculating that the Bank of England should have done more in advance to get inflation down. Also, their cups runneth over. Liverpool celebrate another FA Cup win over luckless Chelsea. Next up, the Independent. Liverpool win the FA Cup on penalties. Could they do the double or even the treble? Because, of course, they're in the running for the Premier League and the Champions League. Meanwhile, Johnson falls £240 million short on his net zero tragedy. I humbly suggest we've got bigger fish to fry at the moment, but of course that's just my opinion. The Observer, our crumbling schools, a risk to life, officials warn number 10. A leaked uh, report reveals that fears of uh, damage to school buildings is a threat to pupils and teachers alike. Also, Wes Streeting denies a plan to succeed Keir Starmer. Labour rising star Wes Streeting has denied preparing a leadership bid to replace Keir Starmer after it emerged that the wealthy party donor Wahid Ali hosted a recent fundraising event for him and another MP at his central London home. Well, you know when a politician denies something, a few months later, it will happen. The Sunday Mirror now. EastEnders racist ruined my life. A mum today tells of her frustration, anger and upset after being racially abused by TV's Katie Jarvis. Michelle Antonio was hit with a barrage of abuse after ex-EastEnders star Jarvis let rip in a seaside bust-up. Mum of three Michelle is haunted by the episode, has had to quit work and suffered panic attacks. She said, I've been stressing myself out for two years. The Sunday Times. Hunt. Rogue NHS requires major surgery. Ex-health secretary Jeremy Hunt was shocked to the core by a cover-up culture over avoidable deaths in maternity departments in England. New pressure on Sunak as one in five pulled into the higher tax bans and a journalist in hiding after she exposed unlawful leader. A journalist in Sri Lanka is in hiding in fear for her life after finding evidence 
that the president should have been barred from running for office in 2019. Sunday Express next. What a final. Reds triumph in dramatic shootout. And Rishi ready to help on the cost of living crisis. And last but not least, the Daily Star Sunday. Russ from Filey. Aliens abducted me 60 times to fight intergalactic war. Is this man the unluckiest earthling in the galaxy? Weary Russ Kellett has had a rotten run of luck, abducted 60 times from his North Yorkshire home to fight for an alien army against other extraterrestrials. Surely being abducted by aliens is better than living in Britain for the last two years. And those are your front page headlines. And we kick off with The Observer, and it seems Boris Johnson is easily distracted, Nicholas. Indeed. Boris Johnson says cheese and coffee can distract when working from home. This is in The Observer PM. Calls for a return to offices, saying it makes staff more productive, more energetic, more full of ideas. And I love the quote. He said, my experience of working from home is you spend an awful lot of time making another cup of coffee and then, you know, getting up, walking very slowly to the fridge, hacking off a small piece of cheese, then walking very slowly back to your laptop, then forgetting what it is you're doing. (laughs) Kind of the Joe Biden school of working from home. But yeah, we've all been there. We've all hacked off tiny pieces of cheese and forgotten what we're doing. I mean, he's right. I mean, some tasks are easier working from home, like if you've got to do a lot of writing or something. But generally, it is better to come into the office. I love coming into the GB office of... And um, I do think... I do think what's, what's happened is it's pretty clear, is that people got used to working at home during COVID, well, during the lockdowns, let's be specific. And then they, they became too lazy to go back to work. Laziness is a good thing, obviously, because it's... It, it, we make things more convenient for ourselves because we're lazy. That's how we got out of the caves. But you can go too far and you just end up, you know, sitting at home eating cheese, which is what's happened here. Well, I would add just quickly that two things. One, I do understand it is hell commuting. I used to commute on the central line. It's the hottest line. It was horrific. The only way I could cope is like, wearing football shorts and a slim, <laughs> thin T-shirt because it was so hot. But I would also add... This is sort of Boris at his best. This is a bit of Boris charm yes. coming back, isn't it? Because he's in trouble at the moment. He's just talked about cheese and somehow you like him again. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if... Because uh, he's been criticised for so many things at the moment. So by turning around and saying, look, I'm absolutely terrible at working and I'm so lazy. <laughs> if you leave me for a moment, I'll forget what I'm doing and I'll just start eating cheese. That's not the most reassuring thing for a world leader to, to say. But everyone but knows that. But well, the, everybody knows the candor, that. The candour is, is refreshing, isn't it? Well, it's I think, charming. I think if he was really going to be candid, he'd reveal, like all of us who work from home, you just up your rate of masturbation. Unless you're... Near Parish, who can somehow maintain the same level of masturbation at work and at home. I see. And uh, on that rather uh, inflammatory note, <laughs> let's move on to the Sunday Telegraph next. And it sounds like Putin has given Finland a grave warning, Leo. Yeah, that's right. So uh, the Russian president, uh, who's not having the best of wars, has warned his Finnish counterpart that relations between the two neighbours could be negatively affected if Finland follows through with plans to apply for NATO membership. Uh, he said uh, he said there are no threats to Finland's security, which, uh, I mean, oh, you can take that promise and put it in the bank. You know? <laughs> I mean, when, when Ukraine got rid of its nuclear missiles in the 90s, uh, it was promised by, uh, by Russia that it would be completely safe just as long as it got rid of those nuclear missiles. And if it still had those nuclear missiles, do you think Russia would be invading? Uh, so, you know, this surprise invasion of Ukraine has really made, uh, you know, countries close to Russia, such as Sweden and Finland, uh, think twice about, you know, 
their, their neutral status and, and how safe they are next to Russia. So they're both going through with plans to, uh, to join NATO. And, uh, and this is huge for Russia because uh, Finland's got a huge border, 810-mile border with Russia. Uh, so right, right on the shore. So if, you know, if, that was, if that was a NATO country, they wouldn't be able to step a foot over there. And also, uh, it, would, it, would narrow, um, it would narrow Russia's uh, access to, to the Baltic Sea. As well, I mean, if you're Finland, you you seek NATO membership, don't you? This is a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You need that. I mean, uh, NATO isn't it's not a a sort of uh, conquest-oriented force. It's purely defensive. It's not territorial. It's not imperial. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But it's a sort of it's a global a global compact for uh, national security. Uh, what do you think about this story? I mean, here we go, more sabre-rattling for old, from old... Well, yeah, it's very much like Leo said. I mean, Putin, Putin has said there's no need for this, as there's no threat, but it's kind of like a shark saying to you, there's no threat, there's plenty of seals around, don't worry about it. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not totally sure they can trust that. Though, If you are on the side that says this was avoidable and it was due to NATO expansionism, which I know Leo's not on that side, but you could argue that yeah, Finland then going into NATO is not, is not going to help with that. But ostensibly, of course, you are safer in NATO once you're actually in there. And I can see why they want to do it. Although you could argue it's a bit academic if it really kicks off. You just get a few more minutes when the, before the nukes land. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, Putin has threatened retaliation if Finland signs up to NATO. And what's he going to retaliate with? Mm. I mean, he, like all of his troops, 80% of his standing army went into Ukraine and they're now currently either dead or retreating from, uh, from Ukraine. Uh, so much of his uh, tanks and armaments have been destroyed. Has he got any missiles left? It's, 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 hard, it's hard to see uh, the Russians holding out. Yeah. For, you know, even, even this side of Christmas, I think it will be done. Oh, he's having an absolute nightmare. And yeah. the West is quite cynically, uh, you know, using Ukraine. Ukraine to just grind down uh, the Russian military power, so they're just you know throwing more more grist into the mill, and uh, and they're just uh, it's cynical in a way because I think we could have found a peaceful resolution to this sooner, but they want to see all the Russian tanks and all the Russian uh, armaments and, and, used and, up. and send out a mes- message to other aggressors that yeah. these, this, this sort of invasion is not going to succeed. Yeah, if, if China invades Taiwan or if Putin thinks of invading Moldova, it's not going to go well for them. And historically, it hasn't gone that well for people invading Finland, has it? They've been no. pretty fierce fighters in previous wars. Talk of a coup in the Kremlin to take, to take, uh, to unseat Vladimir Putin, yeah. which could be another interesting development. Well, the one thing that uh, Vladimir Putin's regime seems to be very good at is, is a suppression and oppression of people at home. So they've got a very tight security apparatus that seems to be holding him in power mm. and, uh, and suppressing dissent at home. But absolutely terrible at invading other countries. Yes, it, it seems to be Putin's war, not Russia's. Yeah. Yeah, interesting stuff. Well, look, let's uh, crack on. Any more, any more thoughts on masturbation before we move on, or just uh... no? Uh, Nick, could you stop, please? Okay, sorry about yeah. that. Okay, perhaps you can uh, pop one out later in the show. By win- which I mean, you know, a good point. Uh, the Independent next, and uh, let's talk about okay. monkeypox, which. Uh, Sounds like a 16th century disease for uh, pirates, doesn't it? Yes, two more monkeypox cases identified in England. And this is the new disease that will kill us all slash do nothing. We don't know <laughs> which yet, but we're going to have to, as I said the other day, we're going to keep after hearing about this disease and other animal-based diseases because that's the new big thing the media can scare us with. So there are two cases unrelated to a case found on 7th of May, which is the previous one we covered, but they are in the same household, apparently, and... Reminder here that monkeypox is a rare viral infection that does not spread easily between people. It's usually mild and self-limiting, but that's not going to stop the media from using it to scare us all. Do you catch it off monkeys? Yeah, in Nigeria so far, apparently. Someone went I've to got Nigeria this and put it over. terrible apparently. triggered reaction now. 
Leo, which is if someone mentions a new virus, I don't care. Right. I'm done. You're down at the STD my, my, clinic my, and yeah. you just... Uh, you know, my, I don't my, care. Put, a, put some Savlon on it. Don't. After two years of uh, extraordinary uh, and unprecedented damage as a result of trying to control yeah. the virus, I'm just like, n- the next one is like, do your worst, baby. Yeah. Even though, there, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Bill Gates is behind this because COVID didn't quite work out for him. He didn't get to like vaccinate really. everybody because Omicron came along and vaccinated everybody for him. And he, <laughs> he, he actually he moaned about that as if you know that, as if people being he called saved it like he said nature. it was a shame or something, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Just so sad, it's unfortunate. Yeah. So maybe he's maybe he's been in his lab and instead of winged monkeys, he's got poxed monkeys yeah, and he uh, now, he's, now he's set them free to bite people. But I mean, obviously, I'm speculating, so please don't sue. Yeah, I mean, Nick- you're saying that's not fact. <laughs> you do look a little pasty tonight and you've got some unusual bumps on your hand yeah I'm sorry Mark I, I, yes it, you might want to get away now because I did I was chatting with a monkey just before I should have flagged that up the monkey pox I saw him swinging in a tyre yeah well that would do it that's just my workout it could, it could be the monkey, so monkey pox it could be the onanism who knows <laughs> how dare you uh, moving on uh, this argument around class and education is an interesting one in the Observer Leo yeah so uh, the ed- education secretary Nadine Zawa- Zahawi has uh, pushed back against the idea of elite universities such as Oxford and Cambridge tilting the system to take in more state students so they're, they're, at the moment they're uh, pursuing Cambridge are pursuing this positive discrimination where uh, you know obviously historically it's been uh, you know Etonians and people went to private school who are then filtered into into our elite universities uh, and they want to they want to open that out and uh, and make get more uh, state school attendees but um, Nadim so uh, Nadim Zahawi is saying uh, don't do it it should be based on merit and the focus should be on delivering more outstanding schools uh, which I can I can absolutely see the I can see the point on both sides I mean the I guess the case against this sort of positive discrimination towards state uh, schools is steal success from uh, from the ones who do make it. People are going to say, "Oh, you, you only got in because because of this scheme." Um, also, state schools aren't all bad. You know, no, they don't all just pump out scumbags like me and Nick. <laughs> get some get some good ones as well. Yeah. Um, so you know, you can't say that uh, you know these people aren't getting a level playing field. Uh, and also, if there's no if there's no incentive for me to get rich so I can send my child to Eton so I can get into Oxford, what's the point of me working hard to get money? Why it's live? completely undermine our whole economic system of nepotism and greed. Yeah, I'm torn about this. I think as, as you are, Leo, because I think it's important that all kids have access to elite education, whatever their background, whatever the school. Um, the flip side is that if Oxford and Cambridge are going to be a pure meritocracy, they would take straight A students and not even uh, acknowledge the actual academic yeah. institution from which they've come. Yeah, I agree. All we ever want is a meritocracy. I've still not ever found it because I went from being not getting opportunities because I was from a rubbish comprehensive school to not getting them because I was suddenly a privileged white man. So <laughs> I, I seem to always be in the wrong place at the wrong time. But there was, if, a, there was about 10 minutes when yeah, you yeah, yeah. all the boxes. <laughs> well, I was riding high for yeah, 10 seconds. But it's but it is hard to give the other side. There's a culture ingrained in private and public versus comprehensive schools. So in my school, no one from my year went to Oxford or Cambridge. They didn't, couldn't even, I don't know if they maybe got the interview, but that's another thing. We won't even know how to do the interviews. Yeah. And I got the, not to boast or anything, but I got the third highest grade in the country on my history A level. No in one, the country? In the country. No one ever said to me on that syllabus, no one ever said to me, Go to Oxford or Cambridge. It wasn't even raised. It wasn't even on the map for, for people at my school. And some people went, obviously, but it was rare. This is the problem. So it is a very deep culture that, of, of difference in these schools. So there is that factor, but I do still prefer to have just a, a meritocracy, but it is complicated. I like this idea that Eton are 
and now doing state schools. Do you see that? That's an interesting sort of spin. That uh, Eton uh, uh, somewhere in here doing. Oh yeah, Eton College are open three sixth form colleges in Dudley, Middlesbrough, and Oldham, which is interesting. Mm. Maybe that's one solution. But yeah, all we all we actually want is a meritocracy. I don't think we should go so far towards you can't come in if you're from a public school. It, sh- yeah. it should just be as close to the idea of pure merit as possible. You know, equality of opportunity. That's all we're looking for. Uh, yes, I mean it's interesting. There's a, an American author that I've I've had on my show, and he's called Kenny Zhu, and he's um, a U.S. He's a, I guess an Asian American, you would say. He's yeah. a guy with his family East Asian background, mm. and he wrote a book called An Inconvenient Minority. The attack yeah. on Asian American excellence and the fight for meritocracy. Um, he alleges in the book that places like Harvard and Yale are actually cancelling Asian students because yeah. they're just too clever. Too clever. They get straight A's and they're they're basically filling up the year groups. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and what are you going to do? And when you make a have an identitarian approach where you say, "Well, everybody, our you know demographic spread across our student intake has to completely match." The, the country? I mean, that's ridiculous. Where does it end? Do we have to have complete parity in every role and every, every, everything? And in this case, you're actually prejudging against people of colour, which yeah. is Asian people. So it's yeah. a brand new level of discrimination. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's even worse. Than you're, you're of colour, but you're the wrong type of of colour, which yeah. is right. East, East, East Asian, in which uh, you know, academic achievement seems to be a cultural thing. Yeah, you're too clever. And it's even worse than you said, Mark, because then they had to start justifying it. So then they said, well, then Mark, it's also personality. So suddenly they were marked down on personality. Wow. Yeah, they were too clever, but they didn't, you know, they weren't rounded. So Whatever. does that mean Asian Americans aren't good company or something? It, you don't it, want to get stuck next to someone that's it, Asian American yeah, at a party? Yeah, that's exactly. a dangerous question Terrible. to ask on GB News, Mark. Probably um, right. The Daily Star next and uh, an FA Cup final day. And uh, this is a pretty spectacular story, isn't it, Nick? I mean, mm-hmm. goes to penalties again. Yes, but this is about what happened before the game, Mark, because yeah. Liverpool fans loudly boo National Anthem before uh, FA Cup final with Chelsea. So they've been booing National Anthem actually on and off for years. Depends if they're in a final, of course, but... This started, it was something to do with the 80s with the Tory government, the so-called managed decline of Liverpool. Hillsborough was part of it. They also resent the food banks outside Goodison and Anfield. There's a sort of general feeling that, you know, Liverpool's been neglected and so on. Uh, I have sort of limited sympathy. I, I totally get the Sun boycott. The Sun was appalling in the wake of Hillsborough. Many papers were. The Sun was the worst. Accusing fans of being responsible for the tragedy, which when, they were not. When it was police negligence. Yeah. I would totally boycott the Sun if I was from Liverpool. I, I could easily imagine. Where I get where they lose me is this. there's the sign saying Scouse, not English. And then you're, you're booing the national anthem. And you're also booing Abide With Me, which was a, a, a hymn set for, based on a, an 1847 prayer, um, sort of prayer thing written by Henry Francis uh, Light, I think he's called. He, uh, that, in 1847, set to music a few years later. Quite a strange thing to boo. And to me, you've gone a bit too far there when you're booing the anthem. It's sort of... It's the most base thing you can do, really, whether you're a sort of hardcore Remainer or you're a Liverpool fan, when, you, when you're sort of hating your own country. I mean, mm. you are the country. If, you, if you're resentful, you'll have a resentful country. If you, you know, aspire to greatness, you'll have a great country. So I, I don't believe in this thing of separating yourself from the country Our in scousers, that way. Our are Brits. Yeah. But it's funny, when you perform in Liverpool, I don't know if you've gone up and done hot I water. Have. I don't anymore, since but... well, someone wanted to fight me after the gig. <laughs> but that's a whole other story. Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, uh, that's, 
I can imagine that happening. It is Liverpool's got its. That's uh, not unique to uh, Liverpool, is it? It's got a very strong. But I noticed there's some cities. Glasgow's one of them. Uh, Liverpool's another. That you go there and you've got to tell them how wonderful uh, the city is and all the rest of it because they've got a real like they're really ingrained and they get right behind their local heroes. Like so, Adam Rowe, a comedian in Liverpool. You know, he sells out uh, arenas there and they've been supporting him right from the start. Whereas uh, London. Uh, London absolutely hates its uh, local its own local That's artists true. you won't get any support you know you couldn't fill a, fill a pub uh, pub I, back room I do think they've, they've got some yeah. case to be hard done by but then again I've lived in Newcastle I remember signing on in bike and Newcastle has incredibly high un- unemployment you don't see them booing the national anthem yeah. some people would also point to it a certain irony that footballers have been kneeling for a violent radical American organisation and we've been many people have been applauding that yeah. which is BLM but you can't uh, applaud your own national anthem so there's a certain irony there you do wonder what's happening to our country in that sense and I thought it was interesting uh, Howard Beckett this guy who was almost leader of the second largest trade union in the country was praising this saying pure quality from socialist fans Whoa. so it's this weird I know so it's this strange thing where it becomes a political issue you, you hate your own country because you're so left wing socialist and left wing people hate their own country yeah I, I, I mean that's not a great message for left wing people to get out there no I mean, he's, he's the, it, he's a, it's a true message though isn't it the yeah. left hate Britain and he's, he's, but they didn't used to it's where they've gone really wrong you don't associate old Labour that was patriotic old Labour yeah. even, no. even Tony Blair's new Labour even new Labour right, cool was Britannia. asked Inspirational and patriotic. Yeah. Cool Britannia. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and Britain. Yeah. But then it all went. It all went downhill. I guess it Miliband into uh, into Corbyn and then and then uh, and then Old Starmer. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this there's this overlap between wokeism and the and momentum and all the the sort of the far left. Uh, which obviously the far left sort of hate the West because it's it's striving and capitalist. And they don't want borders. They they don't want borders. They want uh, you know sort of communist socialist type type thing, which uh, which all the young woke people want as well. Uh, too right. Uh, well, look, uh, lots of viewers in Liverpool. Hope you're enjoying the show as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> you are all proud Brits and it's lovely to have your company. By the way, well done, Liverpool. What a result today. Did a number Ooh. on poor old Chelsea. I think that's the third defeat they've had in the uh, FA Cup final. So the Reds are on for a potential treble. They're Good mis- luck with that. Missing that Russian money. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Is it the quadruple, Martin? I can't believe it. I can't believe it. So uh, come on, the Reds. I say that as a Spurs fan. We've not really got skin in the game this season. That's it for part one. Uh, Coming up, my two brilliant guests will be discussing the government severing ties with the NUS, the National Union of Students, over anti-Semitism. The state of blasphemy laws in Nigeria. And should elephants be treated like humans? Well, we'd have to alter the seats in the cinema for first uh, and second options. See you in two. Welcome back to Headliners with me, Mark Dolan. This is your first look at tomorrow's papers tonight in the company of the brilliant comedians, Leo Kurse and Sir Nick of Dixon. Thank you for getting the sir in. That's it. Dixon of Doc Green. <laughs> I was wondering what that, where that was going to go. <laughs> Careful, folks. Family show. The Sunday Times and the government aren't impressed with the National Union of Students. Just generally, Leo? <laughs> well, this is a, a, you know, quite, quite specific. Is severing, the government is severing all ties with the National Un- Union of Students after accusing it of suffering anti-Semitic rot at its heart. 
Uh, new President Shaima Dalali has had to apologise for a tweet. Well, she's had to apologise for a lot of things. This is, this is a big deal. The National Union of Students represents uh, 7 million students and is associated with, with uh, 600 student unions. Uh, and some of the stuff that she's done, I mean, the, the NUS, they've done various sort of anti-Semitic things. They, they've hired an anti-Semitic rapper. Uh, I think it was the day after uh, he'd um, made anti-Semitic comments about the, the president of, of Ukraine. Um, so in 2012, she wrote on social media, Kaibar, Kaibar, O Jews, Mohammed's army, army will return uh, to Gaza uh, in a reference to a massacre of Jews. So this is pretty it, but high level. This is... By the way, in 628 AD, I mean, get over it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. It's water under the bridge. Yeah, this, yeah. this was see? 68. But it's, it's one of these things that people, uh, you know, people, anti-Semitic people bring up. In 2018, she was filmed berating Jewish students uh, in, at King's College London, uh, leaving a talk by a former Israeli politician. Um, the, she's, she's done various things that are deeply, deeply uh, anti-Semitic. Uh, was still elected as the new president of the NUS. And The Guardian ran an article. Uh, like this, and If you read the article in The Guardian, you think the only problem was the Islamophobia that she received after uh, after doing all this stuff? It's it's absolutely incredible. It shows that um, you know anti-Semitism is just woven through wokeism and uh, woven through student life now and the uh, hard left and the, and the hard left as, we, as we're talking about as we're talking about before. I mean, Ger- hard Corbyn. left people like Jeremy Corbyn always. Uh, you know, um, loathe the Jews because of their uh, their success and their sort of overrepresentation in banking and, and industry, uh, and and yeah, and, and the Middle East because uh, you know the, the Jews have got you know one tiny little bit of it, and uh, you know Jeremy Corbyn thinks they shouldn't be allowed that. So and and the new uh, wokeists who for some reason have completely allied themselves with uh, anti-Semitism and uh, you know st- stand up for for Islam all the time, uh, completely throw Jews under the bus. And it's uh, it's really it's really sad to see. I've got Jewish friends who, who want to leave Britain um, yeah. because of the the threats. I mean, there's there's guys uh, driving around uh, Jewish areas of London uh, shouting at the windows that they were going to rape Jewish w- women and stuff. And the, you know, it's it's not dealt with. Um, so at least the government is standing up and doing something about this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's it's I'm- abhorrent, and it seems to be, doesn't it? If you read um, David Badil's book on on Jews, I think it's called Jews Don't Matter. If you talk to our fantastic colleague on headliners, Josh Howie, uh, they'll both argue that for some reason, racism towards Jewish people is an acceptable prejudice. Mm. Yeah, it is weird. And I'm, I'm the same as you. There's I've no got... taboo. There's not a taboo around no, it. No, I know. It's very strange. And I've got Jewish friends like you. They were very worried about this whole, the whole Corbyn thing. They were very worried about in that time what was happening to the country. I've never understood this anti-Semitism, just this thing, just because Jews secretly won't run the world. I mean, that's an, an achievement, surely. Like you said, that's success. Can we definitely clarify that Nicholas is, is joking? Yeah, that was satire. But that's the accusation, isn't it? They always think they, they run everything. Yeah. It's, 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 men, it's mental. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy. And, and truly abhorrent. And racism is racism. Sunday Times now and the government, uh, we'll, we'll cover that one actually, we'll come back to um, that particular debate later. Uh, this is in The Observer and it puts to rest any arguments for cultural relativism, Nick. Yeah, protests in Nigeria after arrest for blasphemy killing a female student. I mean, this is absolutely horrific. So demonstrators have demanded the release of two students held after uh, murder of a Christian woman in Sokoto. They, I don't know what they're protesting about because it's a horrible murder. I've unfortunately seen horrific footage of it online, which I didn't really want to see. It's, it's Deborah Samuel, who was, she was stoned to death 
Because what she essentially did, they've said here in the Observer that it was after a social media post, which is not really accurate. It was a WhatsApp. There was a WhatsApp group that was supposed to be for students to discuss classes and things. And then there was a lot of religious chat in there. And she said, hey, why is, why is there all this religious stuff? Because really, this is, this, is, this is not appropriate in this group. And that was enough to get her in so much trouble. That they, now that they killed it, so it's absolutely horrific. And people forget this, that Christians are persecuted around the world. It's very popular in the West now to attack Christians. Yes. Uh, and it's a very easy target. But, you know, they're being persecuted in Nigeria, as this proves, Egypt, China, Pakistan. We had the Asia yeah. Bibi story. So, and this is absolutely horrific. So I don't know why. But I don't know, there are protests. And this is how bad it is. She gets brutally murdered for a WhatsApp message. And then there are protests against holding the people who, who, who are accused of her murder. So it's yeah. disgusting. Yeah, and also when the, when the authorities in the West uh, speak about this kind of thing, uh, they completely underplay any, any concept that it could be anti-Christian, uh, you know, religiously motivated prejudice. I mean, when, there the, when there's the slaughter in Sri Lanka, in the, in the churches, uh, Easter a few years ago, Hillary Clinton came out and said, uh, she described them as, uh, instead of describing them as, the victims as uh, Christians, she described them as Easter worshippers. Yeah, Easter worshippers. Which is just the most sort of linguistic, semantic trickery the to worst, try and avoid the, the fact that Christian. Yeah, and even yeah. Theresa May was posting similar things. I think at that time she, she used similar phrases. I can't remember the exact phrase. I think her dad was a vicar, but she wouldn't say. No one would say Christian. Yeah, it was this weird thing. Yeah, it's so bizarre. Yeah, it is indeed the mangling of language uh, for political aim. The Sunday Telegraph now, and Kim Jong Un has the chills. They are multiplying, Leo. That's right, he does. It's not monkeypox uh, over there. They're still on COVID, so uh, yeah, they haven't they haven't caught COVID. up with the West yeah, yet. What happened to COVID? COVID. Well, it, it seemed to it seemed to move to China and North Korea. Uh, where all it, the countries that did so well with COVID, right? Where, yeah, where originally, it's almost like you've got to go through that pain barrier at some point. So you might as well just rip that bandaid off. But yeah, and Kim Jong Un uh, said a COVID outbreak is a great disaster for North Korea. Korea, uh, and he had 21 new fever deaths on Saturday. Uh, so they reckon half a million people have been s- made sick by, by COVID um, nationwide. Um, I mean, at least not many of them are fat, which is a risk factor. Um, that's the president, really, isn't it? That's where your, that's where your policy of uh, running a country into the ground so nobody can afford to, to eat uh, pays off. Um, <laughs> But yeah, there's been this rise in the East, in China, in North Korea, of COVID. In Shanghai, they're in, you know, it's a city of 27 million. They're in, they're in a savage lockdown uh, at the moment. And uh, apparently, um, Chinese vaccines aren't as effective as the, the vaccines we had in the West. So, um, you know, even though we had COVID and we had waves of it and, you know, we had to have lockdowns and people got it, um, it, it really, what's that screaming? Uh, well, uh, I'll be honest with you, not all of the team are enjoying tonight's show. Right. That was the howl of anger from one of our production team. <laughs> right. But, but, I mean, this is well, what's actually happening. The scenes that are playing out in Shanghai, for example, and what they're going through in North Korea now, it puts paid to the idea that locking down a population is going to work. I'm glad you said that, Mark. I was going to say, it's almost as if lockdowns don't work. It's the most sealed off country in the world. No one's allowed in and they get COVID anyway. So you, yeah. you can't, it proves once and for all, really, you can't stop it. And it's hilarious that they're following the model of China which presumably means they're going to invent some new viruses in a lab and then get a drone to go around telling people not to scream just because they're locked in their houses. So, yeah, it, it, I mean, at least they've admitted they've got it, though. So that is a great, that is a step for Kim Jong-un to admit that it's there. Yeah, North Korea won't be able to afford drones, though. They'll just have, like, a paper just plate a blow. stick. Yeah. Just, uh, with <laughs> shut, <laughs> shut your face up. Yeah, just a blow going around saying, stay in. Yeah, yeah. that will do it. Uh, Nick, Hello. the elephant's in the room. Tell me more. Oh. It's in the Sunday Times. Happy to, Mark. Bronx Zoo elephant called Happy hopes to pack its trunk after court case is the... So this is Happy, 51, decent age for an elephant, 
Uh, I don't know how long they live, but it, so he's a unlawfully incarcerated. The Bronx Zoo campaigners claim. So there's a, and they're debating now on whether Happy should be considered a person under the law. A heck of a question. I'm, I'm surprised Leo Curse is even considered a person under the law. But it's it's a it's a it's a human rights question. Let's see my trunk. Um, <laughs> and they, they, they argue these campaigners for this uh, the so-called non-human rights project who fought to uh, get legal rights for two chimpanzees, unsuccessfully fought, I might add, uh, have, have said that Happy is unlawfully incarcerated against her will, which to a layman, you'd think that would apply to many zoo animals. You know, <laughs> yeah. Not many of them have said, you know, thrilled to be here. Um, but so, so they've argued, <laughs> lawyers for the zoo argued successfully that the case should be heard in the Bronx in case the elephant was required to make an appearance. So that's another fun detail of the story. And, uh, but the officials at Bronx who have hit back saying it's all, all untrue. Happy is not kept in isolation. Happy is not languishing. Happy is not kept indoors for half the year. Sounds a bit like sort of Chinese propaganda. Yeah. <laughs> Happy is absolutely not kept in a very specific. Happy is not kept indoors from May through to October 16th. I was going to say, Happy sounds like he's got a better life than me. Well, that's true as well. He doesn't even have to do this show, does he? But he, no, we love, we love headlines. <laughs> I'm trying to get myself sacked. Yeah, so that's the story. The headline, yeah, but he, I've lost my mind. Yeah, where's, where's this going right. to stop? It's just, I mean, we've got zoo animals who are now being, uh, you know, getting human rights. What about farm animals? They get eaten as well. At least Happy's right. not getting cooked and eaten. Well, right. wait, till the, wait till the vegans get this, hold of that one. This is, uh, well, are cabbages going to be next on the list for human rights? I think this cabbages. is human rights lawyers. Human rights lawyers, there's been a, there's too many human rights lawyers. They've run out of uh, no, no, these are asylum non-human. seekers. Yeah, these are non-human. Uh, asylum seekers or whatever to represent. And uh, so now they're representing, they're looking at other things that they can represent. Right, you're right. Where does it stop? Any non-human Oh, the non-human thing. rights lawyers. Yeah, <laughs> which opens up, it does open, a, you know, right. it opens up to virtually anything. Yeah. Talk about a big trunk, mm-hmm. as you say. Not as big as Leo's tusks. In part three, we're talking about the Essex Boy Traders, a hidden Norwegian city, pyjama etiquette, and how loud can you play dominoes legally? See you shortly. Welcome back to the final part of Headliners, a first look at tomorrow's papers. I'm Mark Dolan and with me tonight, the towering comedic figures of Leo Kurse and Nick Dixon. I'm talking figuratively, of course, or literally in the case of Leo. Mm-hmm. And let's go on to our next story. This in the Sunday Times, Nick, a story of working class boys done good or something a bit more suspicious. Well, they've done very good. Investigators go after Essex boys who made 700 million in an afternoon. Whoa. That's, yeah, it takes me a whole day to make that. This is uh, Elliot Pickering was the main guy. Another one, and the other one was Henry Lunn. And they did, they did this on a day of oil trading where the price of crude oil plunged into the red for the first time. That's where they made, I mean, they were already trading, but that's where they made a massive, massive amount. Now they're, it's being, they're being checked over a potential market abuse uh, the judges on the side if they the question is did they did they do anything to did they coordinate this bid to push down the oil price or was it just picking up on blaring market signals as their lawyers say yeah and uh, my, my favorite bit of the story actually their mates have made money as well there was a guy aristos dimitriou dimitriou 33 who was he, he was in a working in a supermarket car park 
when he managed to get involved with these traders and change his whole life. You work in a supermarket car park. He met one of them. He said, how did you afford that car? Then he got involved in it. And soon, and soon he had a three million pound house, which he then demolished to build his own mansion. And I love that story because <laughs> yeah. it reminds me of the bit in Wolf of Wall Street where he goes, you show me a payslip, I'll quit my job right now. I'll come work for you. You remember that? So, so he's seen a guy in a supermarket. He's gone, how would you get that car, mate? And he's told him how. Mm. Come and join my trading gang and he's become rich so i love it hope they hope they're not doing anything dodgy because i love the fact that they've all just become loaded off yeah. trading i mean all, all sort of high level financial chicanery is you know slightly dodgy in its element but i think there's there's allegations that there's a uh, market fixing or, or price fixing here because it was it was an unusual an un- unusual time like the price of oil actually went, went negative so uh, people instead of you know, paying lots of money to buy the oil, you had to pay somebody to take the oil away. It was like a mattress in Walthamstow. So, yeah, I mean, never, never seen before. And obviously now, you know, oil is uh, sky, sky high. We yeah. wish we could have that oil. For sure. We can only dream, can't we? Uh, well, next up, the Mail on Sunday have a story that seems to speak to an important aspect of the culture war and yet simultaneously be incredibly uninteresting. I'm an adult. I don't care about superheroes, Leo. Well, you might care about these ones. So Marvel is bringing out two new transgender characters into their universe with the upcoming debut of Escapade, a.k.a. Sheila Sexton, and her partner in fighting crime, Morgan Red. So uh, basically the, the creator, the, the Escapade's superpower is that she can become a person who's standing close enough to her. Yes. Presumably by uh, taking on their pronouns. Um, I don't know why they didn't give them, you know, appropriate transgender powers, such as uh, being able to talk incessantly about themselves or cancelling comedians. But the the creator okay. of the transgender superheroes is uh, trans themselves. I'm not sure if uh, it's, uh, you know, male to female, female to male. There's no, no picture, and I'm not sure if the picture would actually help. But they say uh, they wanted to be super clear that being a mutant is not a metaphor for being trans <laughs> and vice versa. So heading off that criticism oh, yeah, in the past. But they yeah, cancelled I mean, themselves before they've started. Yeah. I mean, obviously they've got transgender people in a Marvel superhero film now. I mean, there's transgender people in adverts for frozen peas now. So, you know, this is not any groundbreaking stuff. I mean, it's, it's great to see the exception. Do you think eventually this will all get so normalised that when a regular heterosexual homo sapiens character appears in Marvel, it would be like, whoa, science yeah. fiction. I think we're already at that point. We're already at the point where, uh, you know, white, straight male, cisgender, these are pejorative terms for Generation Z. I've yeah. literally seen people on Instagram uh, like say that, you know, order people to, to take down posts claiming that they're, uh, that they're cisgender and they're like, no, I'm non-binary. Stop, you know, stop smearing my name sure, with this cisgender disgusting We nonsense. can still be the baddies though. They're the coolest ones anyway. <laughs> I love that the, uh, one of them is, the, uh, the, one of the trans superheroes is described as having a tool, tool belt containing an arsenal of stolen tools and devices. So their superpower is stealing. <laughs> and uh, the, the other one can become a person if they stand next to them. It says, if you're the mayor of New York and she gets close to you, she can become mayor of New York for a while. That's how low standards are in the Democrat party right now. You can <laughs> Just stand there, you become the mayor. I've made it political. It is, it's much like Star Wars and everything. Like for our generation, it was archetypal hero stories, and it was people like Luke Skywalker. Now, where the where the baddies, where the enemies. So yeah. these stories are not for us anymore. Mm. So I know we have to go to other things. I don't know what. Mm. Uh, well, I tell you what, we're going to do is we're going to go underground with the Mail on Sunday, Nick, mm-hmm. for the nuclear apocalypse. Yes, the hidden city under Helsinki built for the nuclear apocalypse. So Finnish city has 500 bunkers where the entire population of 60,000 people can shelter from the fallout of a nuclear war. So obviously off the back of that earlier story where, you know, Putin was sort of perhaps threatening NATO, uh, NATO, 
Finland a little bit. Now they've thought, right, the Finns have got on it. They've really got their planning done. They've built a whole underground world. I love that it holds, potentially hold 900,000. Did I say 60,000? I meant 600,000. It can potentially hold 900,000, a third more than the city's entire population. So it's not just for the elites, like some of these bunkers we've heard about. You used to have a bunkers in New Zealand, didn't you, was the place. And then they went mental. So it's like, right, where are we going to have bunkers? But they've got a whole underground city. It's going to have softball courts, go-karting. It's got enough space for 50,000 double-decker buses. And uh, they've got documents of list of jobs people will do. They can uh, use skills gained above ground while in the shelter. Sounds like a sort of <laughs> video game. Uh, but they've got a few rules. Of course, you'd expect the Finnish to have some rules. Alcohol, drugs, weapons, devices that produce heat or anything that smells bad are not allowed <laughs> in the shelter. But it is so cool. And they've, they've got, they said there will be phone signal, but their reliance on technology in the shelters is so low that they'll be safe against cyber attacks. Basically, this is sound like the place to live. I almost want to move there myself to underground Finland. Sounds better than Happy the Elephant. Yeah, just That's, a bit. Yeah. And also they emerge and take over afterwards. We do have a Finnish world. Although, um, actually, if there was uh, nuclear annihilation on a, on a mass scale, it's all in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And weather patterns would keep the fallout circulating mainly in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. So the safest place to be isn't in a bunker in Finland. It's just anywhere in Australia or New Zealand. Uh, you don't even need a... I mean, you can maybe, you know, put on a raincoat or something, but you don't really need uh, protection from fallout down there. But you'd we, never get into New Zealand now. If Wilder Cinder Arden's there, she'll never let you in. Yeah, yeah, Jacinda Ardern, like a lot of left-wing leaders, is uh, simultaneously incredibly pro-immigration and uh, anti-immigration. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And she's the most woke politician in the world in bed with China. Yeah. Doing deals with Beijing rather than the West. Yeah. Who knew? The halo has slipped. I'm quite interested in this idea of a Finnish empire. Well, have you seen the Finnish prime minister? No. She's probably the most beautiful world leader. And I'm, I'm including Boris Johnson. And in Priti Patel. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Wow. She's not really a world leader, is she? Technically, she's a leader to me. <laughs> is she? She's more attractive. She's a leader in our house. Is she more attractive than Donald Trump? Yeah, yeah. I find that hard more. to believe. Yeah, someone should do a little uh, chart of, and you, you can't be sexist about it. We no. politicians of male and female. That's why I compared her to Boris. Exactly. Well, yeah. that would do it. A very favourable comparison. The Finnish Empire. We'd all have like very. We'd have clean streets, wouldn't we? And yep. We'd be eating boiled fish. We'd be eating Russians. We probably would, wouldn't we? And uh, we'd all be on Nokia phones again. Yeah. It'd have a comeback. Yeah. The, well, they, they could survive a nuclear war. Yeah. The old Nokia 6810. It's true. The last thing left alive. Too right. And I'll drink to that. Well, The Observer once more. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this is one of the most interesting stories I've seen about dominoes in my life. It's also the only story I've ever read about dominoes. Leo? Yeah, so a dominoes player has won a court case uh, over a ban against him and his friends playing dominoes loudly that he said was racially motivated. So uh, Ernest Theophile, 74, uh, plays uh, dominoes and chats and uh, um, plays cards and backgammon with his, with his friends uh, in Maida Hill Market Square in northwest London. Uh, and the council banned him and his friends. These, these are old guys. He's 74. They banned him and his friends uh, from congregating there in 2021, citing noise and antisocial behaviour problems. Uh, it said it had received more than 200 complaints. And yeah, it just seems ridiculous. And I think, you know, Domino's is part of uh, that sort of uh, Caribbean culture. Mm. Uh, obviously, when they play, they get animated and, you know, have a lot of fun with it. So, you know, he's making a bit of noise. But that's a great thing to see. It's great to see, uh, you know, people coming out and taking over public spaces in a, in a fun way. And it actually prevents crime because you can't, 
uh, when I worked with the police, you'd, you'd encourage that sort of ownership, that custodianship of the space. Because if Ernest Theophile is there playing dominoes, nobody's going to be stealing bikes or mugging anybody. So I can't believe that Westminster Council wasted taxpayers' money trying to hound these, uh, these old men who've, who've contributed to society their whole lives, trying to hound them off the square and stop them having fun. And I think, you know, I think it could well be racially motivated. Well, I'm going to, for the sake of debate on the show, I'm going to give the opposite misanthropic case that noise is a huge problem in London. I live next to some very noisy people, it, it ruins your life. Noise is a problem. I question whether a, a council in ultra-woke London is, is doing something racially motivated. I mean, I think it's a noise issue. You could argue the noise is inherent to the playing of dominoes uh, for West Indian people, but surely every culture has some noisy traditions. It's a question of when you do. Aust- Austrians aren't out there yodelling all night, do you know what I mean? <laughs> so it might just be a question simply of a noise complaint that is ruining other people's lives. So that's the counter. I'm sure they're all top lads, but that's the counter. Do you remember in the case. 90s and the noughties when female tennis players were getting in trouble for grunting every time they served? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and I think actually that the referees were beginning to sort of like deduct points for, right. the, for the noisy service. Yeah. But it wasn't just serves, it was every shot, some of them. But nobody's trying to sleep. Monica Seles, I think. Seles was doing it, a lot of them were doing it. Yeah. Nobody's trying to sleep in the stands, though. No, I think, I think this, I mean, they've been doing it for, for 20 years as well. So, you know, anybody who's moved to the area knows that they're moving to an area where this happens. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't think it's making a lot of noise Fair in enough. the grand scheme of things. No, they, I'm going to go and live in the woods anyway. There you go. Well, that, that would do it then, raised by wolves. Yet another story about class, this time from the Daily Star on Sunday, Nick. Yes. Is, is, this, a, is, this, the, is this about the train? Toenails. Oh, this is horrible. So um, <laughs> there's not much to this story, really, other than someone discovered that some toenails and someone had been clipping their nails on the train. It's really just another indication that our country is broken and our society is falling apart. I mean, the other day we had the story. Oh, there they are, in case the viewers needed to see that. This oh. is what's competing with Eurovision is a picture of some toenails. Yeah. Wait, so they got a cleaning team on the train for that? I know, it's not a lot, is it? It's, no. It's gross, but it's not it's what you picture. That's a hazard. I'd count that as a particularly clean train. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I know what you mean. It is. No, it, post-COVID, that's a health incident. It's quite minor compared to... We had a train story the other day about a train in Manchester where it, it shut down. People were stuck in it for a couple of hours. The power had gone out. People were smoking. They were urinating on the floor. They were fighting. It just... The society just fell apart yeah. in about two hours. So it's all relative. I can take toenails on a train carriage. I can't take a hot McDonald's. Toenails on a train carriage. That's an Agatha Christie. It's got to be, hasn't it? Yeah. You don't uh, like You know when you're, you're on a commute and someone comes in with a Burger King... Oh, you can smell a, it. Mackey D's... That weird sweet smell. It is a bit. Yeah. Is it because it's gross or because you want to eat it? No, it's definitely gross. Okay. Unless I've had a little bit of Stella, then I'm jealous. <laughs> you're anti-carbs, aren't you, Mark? You just any I carbs. You're like... The war on carbs. And by the way, this story about toenails dovetails with our next story in the Sunday Mirror and pyjama etiquette, Leo. Yeah, if you thought the, the last story was low in substance, wait until you get a load of this. So mum of three, Jodie Palmer, sparked a heated debate online when uh, a journalist couldn't be bothered doing any investigation and just went on mum's net. So uh, she shared a photograph of herself wearing pyjamas while dropping off her kids at school. The 34-year-old from Swindon says she's proud to wear her PJs, but her post was flooded with comments shaming her for doing so, with some branding her disgusting, dirty and lazy, to which we have to say, so what? So yes. what, somebody wore pyjamas to drop the kids off at school, then posted photos online and smart yeah. people don't like I mean, this is you're not going to get a Pulitzer for this Sunday night. I can easily see how it could happen. Mike, you could easily, you know, you're rushing, but why did she have to post a photo of it? I do question that. And people are saying it's disgusting. I don't think, I, that's going too far, but my, my rule of thumb is, would Thatcher do it? And clearly she wouldn't oh, do this. Thatcher wouldn't do it. No, so therefore it's bad. She would be driving the car herself. Well... 
I'm saying it is a lack of it is a lowering of standards in the country. Leo. Yeah, although that's all I'm, I'm saying you can't really compare yourself to a, a world leader, I guess. I but, can. Uh, well. I mean, the, the real answer might be so she works two jobs as a children's entertainer and she's a leader with Avon, so she might be wanting some publicity for her children's entertainment, which I'm sure she wears appropriate clothes for, uh, not pajamas, or she might be wanting to sell more Avon products. Fair enough. Uh, don't you think it sets a bad example though? Mums or dads taking their kids to school in pajamas or indeed uh, people in tesco's just going around in you know a dressing gown yeah you do see people slobbing around you even see comedians comedians wearing like uh, just track pants and a, and a grubby t-shirt and uh, well, on stage i was kicking one one at Vauxhall, uh mc and he, he came like he was wearing the grubby clothes and i was thinking when's he going to get changed it's something smart like mark or nick would do <laughs> and uh, he, he said somebody asked him about his t-shirt feel a t-shirt and he said oh this is a, this is my new uh, stage gear. He's like, that's your stage gear. <laughs> what do you what do you wear around the house? It was like a flower yeah. sack. It's like, it was in Vauxhall. Rab Rabsi Nesbit. Uh, well, look, Martin. I'll let you choose our last story. Where shall we go? Vogue is good. Okay, let's go UFOs, shall we? Oh. And uh, and it's actually quite an interesting story in the Sunday Telegraph, Nick. I was going to do the other one. Okay. Oh, yes. do the other one if no, you want. No, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Country. Who cares? No one's watching because of Eurovision. The truth is out there. <laughs> so Pentagon, so the Pen- this is a good story. This is an important story, though. The Pentagon faces public gr- grilling over UFO sightings. So the Pentagon has essentially said, look, we don't know what's out there. I mean, they're going to actually uh, be an official sort of hearing about it uh, because there, were, there's a, there was 144 instances of unidentified aerial phenomena since 2004 and they could only explain one of them with confidence, which is not very many. So that, this is the thing, Mark. UFOs are real. Watch the Bob Lazar documentary. It's definitely true. Aliens are definitely real. Weirdly, it hasn't impacted my life that much. I've got an issue. I, I'm struggling to care about UFOs. That's the thing. It's, it's quite important because the fact that aliens are real and UFOs exist, and yet it hasn't really changed my bottom line that much. You know what I mean? No, I just well, miss the days yeah. when conspiracy theories theorists focused on UFOs instead and now they focus on real you know real nuts and bolts stuff like the Ukraine war or COVID. (laughs) Now yeah now you're talking that definitely matters doesn't it Uh, well look uh, lads thank you for a brilliant headliners. Headliners returns tomorrow at 11 o'clock. My sincere thanks to the hugely talented Leo Kurse and Nicholas Dixon Sir (laughs) Nick of Dixon Um, Tomorrow really excited about my show because my Mark Meets guest is showbiz legend Christopher Biggins Uh, And also in the big question, do we make too much of a fuss about mental health? That's all at nine. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.